dollhouse. <laughs> well, it was, it, was, it was the part of the video where they're showing the, the tavern, which is a is not. It's got little balls of fruit on yeah, the table. And, 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 and that was yeah. that was like okay, yeah, you really don't need a 3D yeah. but, like, tavern. The well then, okay, we'll play on the Dwarven Forge shit, and you can play in fucking Barbie Land. <laughs> Welcome, folks. This is a Geek Shock Special oh. Edition podcast. <laughs> there we go. We got a full contingent. I am Master Torgo. I am Dr. Blarg. Hades <laughs> Jeff. Commander K. And Deb. Yeah, that's right. A full group here. Now, this is not our normal thing. If you're looking for geek news, we're, we're taking a little break for a few weeks, and, <laughs> and we're going to... Uh, Explore because our, our uh, normal show is what to watch, what to read, what to play. The Gully Couch Show, but uh, we're going to explore the the items that and the games and the the TV that really made us who we are as geeks and kind of explore that. Uh, so this is just going to be about games. This is the games that made us the geeks that we are, and we're going to try to figure out why. And we're also going to try to figure out if those games really work now. Okay, for us. So so let's just. Stop the intro and go. Hey Barry, hey Torgo, what you got? What give me a game that made Barry who Barry is today? Well, I'll tell you what made uh, what started me off. That's a good uh, start. And it wasn't so much a game as it was a game system. Okay. The thing that started me off was the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. Okay. And okay. Funny thing about the Atari Twenty Six Hundred was how was how I got it. All right. And yeah. I told you this. I kind of got my Atari Twenty Six Hundred, not like all the other kids. Mine came out of a brown bag. <laughs> my yes. father, I came home from school one day and my father's... It's a, Jersey for you. My father comes home and says, oh, look what I got. I got a Atari 2600. And he's like, where's the box? He says, oh, you don't need no box. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need no box. And he pulls it, he's got a brown bag. Like, he used to get groceries out of it. And, he, and he says, I says, well, it comes with combat, right? Because I knew it came with combat. Cause my yeah, friends all, had it. all 2600. Says, what? It don't come with kayak, you Pac-Man, you got Space Invaders, you got all these games. It comes with 10 games. It doesn't come with 10 <laughs> games. It comes with 10 games. Now, later, <laughs> I, I, know, later would I understand <laughs> that it came, you know, it was hot off of the back of a back of a truck or something like that. But, you know, you don't need no box. <laughs> I spent many, many, many weeks in front of that thing, uh, playing that twenty six hundred, and it opened my eyes. Like, oh my god, this is the this is the future of games, you know. Uh, outside playing ball in the grass, getting my hands and feet dirty. Those Screw are the that. Those are the games but, that other kids are playing. Yeah. But Barry, it was the Garden State. Garden State, my ass, Three Mile <laughs> Island State. No, no, it was all about the twenty six hundred. So, so with, with the system, what was your attachment? What what game? Just when you think back to that system that you just barreled yourself into, that was your. Uh, my go to game was Yars Revenge. Yars Revenge. Yars Revenge, A true classic. And the reason was uh, play control, and I say this about all games all the time. Uh, the 2600 was all about play control because it sure as hell didn't have graphics. Uh, yeah. You had to work within the confines of the system. You, you see, it, your, your imagination was still in play on the 2600. Oh, yeah. You had to use your imagination. And what the game designers did have there was you, you, have, you really had to exploit what you could, and that was play control. So you really have to make play control work for you to make a, to make a game. That fun. is true. That's one of the reasons why I can't play most of the game room games on my Xbox because I don't have, say, an arcade stick. So I don't have the responsiveness that I need uh, in the in that uh, controller for the Xbox 360 that I really need to play the old 2600 games because man, that analog stick will kill you. Mm-hmm. Will kill you in mm-hmm. Yars Revenge. Mm-hmm. Inter- interesting trivia note. The Atari 2600 was originally called the Atari VCS. Oh, yeah? stood for Video Computer System. Yes. That's right? Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Yep. No, uh, Yars is still my uh, go-to game, even when I play uh, ports of the 2600 on the computer. You know what? That was one of the first ones that I downloaded in Game Room. To Hell yes. I, I needed to go play, try out. Yeah, it's still got a little bit of strategy to it. Asteroids was the first one that I could remember playing on the Atari. Asteroids has got some strategy, but <clears throat> well, you know, but I'm just I, was that's, d- that was the first game that I remember playing on it, and it, I, we never had one, so I had to go to a friend's house, and he happened to have one, and that was the first game he slapped in. He's like, "Hey, you got to try this. This is fun." I was like, "Oh yeah, this is like this is in the arcade." You know, it was a decent port. No, yeah, it, it 
Well, the, the original one was ba- pretty basic vector graphics, right. so wasn't uh, wasn't hard to port that one over. Don't get me wrong, there were lots of other classics on there. You got your Pitfall and your River Raid, right. and your other Activision classics like Kaboom. Oh yeah, my father was addicted to Kaboom. Yeah, Torto mm. was pretty good at the <clears throat> at the Pitfall. But again, for my money, mm. Yars Revenge. All right, and uh, you know that still kind of holds up after playing it uh, after all these years. It's still uh, well, if you're a challenge. Me, if you're asking me if it holds up after all these years, I think it still does. Do I think that they could re that they could re release it? Uh, with the all new graphics, no. I don't think so. I think by itself, I think it still holds up as a fun like little. Oh yeah, we'll play a quick game of Yars Revenge mm-hmm. while I'm waiting for a download. Yes, right. But you're I not going to sink hours into it. No, I think they could re-release it as a mini game, as a game that you could play while you're waiting for something to load. A flash game on the web. Right. Yeah. I got you. A loading game. A game to right. play while you're waiting for your game to load. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a fine game. <laughs> yes. That's cool. All right, Commander K. I uh, kick off first off with a major formative game. Uh, when I was 13 years old, I had the seventh-month period where three things came colliding together All right. that, uh, that really uh, actually had a big geek impact on me. And... Uh, Two of them were book series, Lord of the Rings and Robert E. Howard's Conan, but the other was the Advanced Dungeons & Dragons Player's Handbook. Um, right there with you. I remember I got that book, and uh, I'm reading through it, and I never war-ganged. I okay. never played anything like that, and so it confused the hell out of me. I had no idea what in the hell now, how old was were, going. How old you were when you first got this? I was 13. 13. I was 13. I was living overseas. So I wasn't even aware of the craze back here. Mm. Uh, it was very interesting talking with people literally like years ago and having people m- use the phrase, that was back when everyone was playing D&D. So I was pretty much unaware of that. But uh, I knew my geek friends <clears throat> were interested in it. I actually got a hold of, was loaned the book to read through. I was confused as hell, <laughs> but I eventually got into it. And... One of the reasons I say it was intensely formative is uh, Gary Gygax was a big reader of the pulps. Okay. And he had uh, in the Dungeon Master's Guide the famous, oh, I'm going to get the letter wrong. I think it was Appendix N, okay. which is recommended reading. And oh. so he's listing off Robert E. Howard's Conan. He'll say J.R. Tolkien, uh, Lord of the Rings. But he also lists Fritz Leiber's Fafford and Grey Mouser, A. Merritt's Pulps, um, uh, all all sorts of pulp fantasy from the early 20th century. And um, I started reading up on a lot of that stuff because of that appendix, which gave me my pulp, uh, oh, wow. pulp fantasy background. Huh. So that was, uh, that was and, and all of the influences he took from that, the stuff he borrowed from, uh, from all over the place. <clears throat> the most famous being like, like Lord of the Rings stuff, which he actually right. even said wasn't a, particular creative influence he just did it for marketing reasons and then the Tolkien estate caught up with him and like made him change his stats for the Nazgul and he changed it into uh, the Wraith and the Balrog became the Balor type 4 demon Uh, and and of course hobbits became halflings because halfling I guess was a generic enough term so Hmm. but um, I remember I just remember working with it. it it the system could be a bear, especially if you were not an experienced war gamer, which is one of the points I bring up to relevance because I'm not sure how it would play today. I mean, everyone knows D&D has gone through numerous uh, editions. Uh, it is nowhere near as popular as it used to be. Um, I remember reading an interview where Gygax was talking about how at its height, D&D was moving over 10,000 units a month. Wow. Now, for most games today, 10,000 units in your lifetime yeah. of the game would be a glorious success. So we can't even really comprehend. And like I said, I was overseas, so I was totally oblivious. I don't know about people who were here at the time, but you can't even comprehend the level of success that game enjoyed back then. <clears throat> uh, pen and paper role-playing has become something of a niche hobby. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, a uh, lot of people play it, but uh, it isn't as widespread as it used to be. And a D and D system also had a lot of structure to it that uh, modern players 
the, the, the systems they like, they like more streamlined systems, more unified mechanics right. in their approaches to Very the game. Very thick. Lots of things in there. Lot tables. Lots of tables. Roll. Different. You percentile dice They're for this. Up. Roll a d6 for that. Roll. You, you hardly ever used your d20 except in combat. Right. So now let me ask you. You <clears> said you got right into the AD&D. You never saw the big red box. I I eventually did pick up the basic expert companion. Uh, Masters Immortals Rules. Because when I got into it, I saw that again. That seemed like a lot of words. Yes, (laughs) you actually had you actually had five different sets. Now what you had was an editor uh, uh, named uh, Eric Holmes. He edited the basic set. The big red box. That was a big red box. (laughs) It had the and it had the red book in it. And that was actually that came out the same time they were doing AD and D. It was a uh, a two prong strategy. And the red box was meant to be the introductory. Yeah, just basic <coughs> set, D&D. Basic set, you only went to third level. Elf and halfling and dwarf were classes. They weren't races. And uh, it sort of, it, it, it was meant to be a, a, a more gentle easing into the system. Because then and, you had the expert <coughs> set, which is blue, if I remember yes, right. Blue, the blue yes, blue box. And you moved on. That's when you got Tom Moldvay doing the editing. And he... They then ran every couple of years basic expert companion master and immortals, which ran you all the way up That's to right. your thirtieth level. Master was the black one. Frank yeah. Mensner was the eventual editor who actually, uh, I, I believe, he was the one who oversaw what was called the Rules Cyclopedia, which eventually put all of those together in one book, and that was Dungeons and Dragons versus your advanced Dungeons and Dragons. And eventually they phased it out because it was two different rule systems. But it, yeah, had, it was. they did actually continue printing the encyclopedia, I believe, up into the early 90s, 91. Wow. So, <clears throat> so all those systems, same thing. Lots of tables, different mechanics, and so much has gone towards making unified mechanics nowadays, uh, as well as the varying forms of role-playing uh, experiences, the, the narrativist approach versus the... The player approach and the war gaming approach and all that stuff that uh, I'm not sure AD&D first edition would do so well today. But mm-hmm. there is on the internet a movement called the OSR, the Old School Renaissance. And these are people who dedicate themselves to playing the old D&D rules. And we're talking the <laughs> little brown books wow. that predated the bread box. Yeah, <clears throat> And these people like doing their little kit bash systems. It's all over the place in terms of uh, the stuff they do. One uh, uh, website I'd recommend, grognardia.com. <laughs> um, uh, James Maliszewski actually talks about uh, old school renaissance playing, all the systems. He gets deep into the history of things as well as pulp adventures as well. His sidebar contains scores of uh, websites dedicated to the OSR, including D&D with Porn Stars. That's where I found that. Okay, wow. And Zach S., who run, does D&D with Porn Stars, he's part of the old, old school renaissance no group. Although, I mean, he, he, he cobbles his rules from old D&D, uh, AD&D, as well as third edition. Okay. So it's... it's and there's a, it's a little dedicated internet niche where lots of people just debate and discuss old school D&D rules and playing. That's so. some deep geek. Yeah, love yeah. it. <clears throat> so that's, wow. that's my first up. And like I said, tremendous influence. Coming in at 13, I was a sci-fi nut. Okay. You know, it was Star Trek, Star yeah, Wars, all the way. <laughs> and then 13, uh, D&D... Lord of the Rings, Conan, changed it all. Wow. Yeah, I would say that was an influence. Yes. A small a one. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> well, well, my mine, uh, I'm going to start out with, uh, is actually the genesis of this whole special edition project. I was combing Charlie. basic geek news, as, as I do every week, and I came across an article about a professor that teaches uh, video game history, and he assigns classic games to his students to play through so they can learn the mechanics of what made these games so great and, and take those things and how they built upon each system as they've gone. There was one game in this that the students uniformly could not stand. They, they hated the game. They hated how it worked. They, they just didn't get it, how this could possibly be fun. And it's one of the games that completely formed my <laughs> makeup as a geek. And this is Ultima 4. 
I love this game. Now, the Ultima series is, I mean, I'd already discovered D&D by this time, all right? Um, and there really wasn't anything like this. I mean, Wizardry came out and so on, but I didn't have a computer. I wanted to buy a Commodore 64 so I could play Ultima 3. As simple as that. The video game magazines all talking about Ultima 3, how it's, you can choose your own character classes. Well, this is just like D&D on the computer. I have to have this. So I saved up my money, and I, after a long stint of mowing the grass and cleaning this office, pulling weeds, I finally bought a Commodore 64. And I bought Ultima 3, and I trudged through it because that... It had lots of little rules. Number that was number three, okay, yeah. yeah, and and so on. But I really, really fell in love with it. Never completed it, but I would keep playing it, starting it over again because I enjoyed how the tactical battles worked, and I enjoyed the story as it were to it with the demon cover that I had died from my mother because it looked like a demon. I didn't want to think I was doing weird, strange rituals. <laughs> and uh, Je- Jeff were. understands this well. Oh yeah. And then Ultima Four came out, and Ultima Four is the one where it started. Importing moral choices. You were the avatar come to Britannia, and the whole idea of the game was to basically make your character a better person. I played the shit out of this game. I know. You you uh, you had to base it on the virtues, you know, humility, valor, honesty. Okay. So kind of like fable. Uh, Fable's be, be, basis. Fable owes a lot to it. Yeah. But, but each one had its own very basic virtue. Humility was a rough one too. It is so. I mean, so if you gave money to a beggar, <laughs> you would, uh, you, your compassion would go up, and the game would monitor how you did in each of these virtues. And it also still had the battles and the 3D dungeons and the things you enjoyed about past Ultimas and interactive characters. The first time you could talk to a person and ask them questions, and they would respond. It was a very deep game for its time. However, no, that does not translate well now. It, it 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 is it its magic system was this convoluted set of mixing reagents together to you know, add, you know this sulfurous ash with spider silk might get you the potion for curing disease all right so if you ever got a disease you had to mix these reagents together to get it and part of the game was also used runes which you had to have a deciphering uh, paper next to you that showed you, you know, this rune means A, this rune means B, and you had to decipher things along the way. You had to do outside work from well, like within Mist. the game. I yeah. loved that game for that reason. <clears throat> so thought provoking. So and then five went on to even increase that aspect and you know created time. These games I still hold as the the pinnacle of of gaming as far as what inspired me to go on into enjoying fantasy more and yeah i mean i had my D startup like you did but it was the ultima series of games that really pushed me forward and i still prefer that style of game the turn play turn-based role-playing game versus the action-based role-playing game even though i love my diablo 2 that's in this form to time too but these games are really the beginning but now the kids today Hate this fucker completely. <laughs> Can't deal with it. And and I'm just going. Wow. We just want to stop now. We came up in a great time for geeks. Yeah, we the, saw the, the evolution. We saw hmm. it's not ex- ex- absolute beginning, but we saw where it started to take off and then flow and then change into the grand hobby that it is now. That's exactly why I said the thing I said about Yar's Revenge because. The gameplay. It's all about gameplay, and it's not about crazy graphics. Yeah. Same thing with yours. No, oh, it's a tile-based game that would run on your basic Apple II. It's about gameplay, not about the crazy graphics, and they can't stand it. Yep. So. And basically, when uh, uh, Richard Garriott created the game, his original Ultima, that's what he wanted to do, is translate D&D to computers. That was his basic idea, and he did it. Yeah, I've never seen that game ever, so I don't even know. Yeah, there there was a while that they were giving it. away Ultima Four online for free, and that's something that stopped since then. But they were doing it for a while. If you ever look up online, like on uh, Google or on YouTube, they actually have video of the old school uh, Ultima screens, and it's it's it you know t- compared to today's standards, it's really basic. Like 
this little green splotch is a tree, you know, and then a whole bunch of these green splotches is a forest. And, I used to play Major Mud, so and I don't yeah, know if you guys know you were, what that is. But... Wasn't it like a, a white stick figure that was your uh, yeah, yeah white, that, that you basically. moved around? That was that it's was not your like mud so much. Well, I know. I'm just saying. I've played very simple, where there's like no graphics whatsoever. It's just text, and yeah. you have to go through. And oh you know, yeah. Turn right, go left. Yeah. A well, roommate yeah, describing like, that to me. Yeah. Wow, I I can actually kind of envision you know what this would be like, and I don't have to have a whole big table sized uh, board to yeah. to represent you know what I'm going through. I can actually see it on the screen. I think unfortunately, what killed the Ultima series was Ultima Online and their PvP issues. Well, I don't. I don't really think so. I think what killed the Ultima series was Ultima Nine. <laughs> uh, Ultima Nine was a buggy, crap-filled, horrible semi three D. They did up to nine. Nine. Now, they did not only the nine Ultimas and Ultima Online and all of its iterations, but they also had uh, the uh, Ultima Worlds, which had like Martian Dreams and this prehistoric one. They also had Ultima Underworld one and two. This this was a whole branching out franchise. That's why Richard Garriott was one of the first civilians to go to space. He could afford it. Yeah. Ultima provided him all that access and, and all the other games that he's has since tried to do and uh, in some senses failed, like you know tab- Tabula Rasa. Yeah. But uh, but how about you, Jeff? Give me a formative. Well. You thought uh, that Ultima didn't play well. Uh, one of the first, <laughs> one of the first games that I actually really recall playing was Zork. Zork. Infocom's Zork. Yeah, Infocom's Zork. Um, you know, no graphics. The very first one, just you know, all text driven, and uh, that was kind of for me my first pseudo introduction to role playing games. Or adventure style games because I was aware of Dungeons and Dragons. Uh-huh. Um, ironically, I didn't even play my first game of Dungeons and Dragons till I want to say almost ten years after uh, a friend of mine uh, showed me the book and told me about it, and I was really intrigued. Um, it was expensive to get into for me. I grew up Still very is. poor. Well, yes, but, you know, I, I grew up very poor. We, we couldn't afford a lot. Um, I remember my dad saved for almost a year just to buy the Commodore 64 that I played that on. So, mm. um, you know, because dad was the, the only one that, that worked. Mom was home with us. But um, he grew up yeah. in a one-room shack. In the swamp. No, no, it was a two-room shack. <laughs> and he didn't go in the attic because there might be a Gru there. Yeah. but yeah. <laughs> Damn, spool, spoiled one of my Gru jokes on there <laughs> later on. <laughs> and it was going to be the basement, but whatever. But uh, no, uh, Zork was, was kind of my pseudo-introduction to RPGs because... I got this game from a friend of mine who had a Commodore 64, and he's like, you've got to try this since you just got yours. And my parents didn't really know what it was, so I got to kind of play it unsupervised. You know, it's certain benefits to being the oldest child. <laughs> um, but because uh, I, I remember my mom was a little weirded out by the whole D&D thing because you got to remember my mother's work. You know, okay, I wasn't even allowed to touch it. It was well, viewed as you know, evil. evil and yeah. satanic. I got called into the principal's office to talk about D and D. I had mine taken away from me. I was eighteen. Yeah. So, but, uh, yeah. yeah, Todd and I grew up. Both grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Kansas. You know, so smack dab in the middle of the Bible Belt. Um, I remember when it first came out. D and D was little known, and it sounded really cool. But I swear to God, it wasn't more than about six months later when. It was all over the news. Every parent knew about it. Every parent was freaked out about it. And if you uh, had a book, if you had a character sheet, if you knew anybody that had a book, that book was either going up in their parents' closet, mm-hmm. it was going in the fireplace, yeah, it was going in the Because obviously it was teaching you, you know, how to worship Satan yeah. and summon demons. Oh, yeah. Teach yeah. y'all. Maybe <laughs> So yes, uh, so Zork was my my pseudo D and D. That was my 
you know, you are standing in a field with a white house to your left, I think it was, was how it opened. It was a mailbox. It was a mailbox, <laughs> thank you. And there's a white house nearby. To the north. If you and... would like to know exactly how it opens, my friend Jeff, uh, not this Jeff, um, another Jeff, runs mm-hmm. a site called thcnet.net. It's not like THC, uh, yeah. or California not. Um, go there. Type in thcnet.net slash whatever the fuck. His mm-hmm. 404 page, he has converted to play fucking Zork. Nice. <laughs> you, the whole goddamn thing. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> so thcnet.net slash whatever the fuck. And you will be immediately playing Zork. You, you will also be standing outside the White House next to a mailbox. Now, I had, I had no instruction manual for this, so I had to learn... What commands would and would not work with the game? It was game. a limited parser. You had to type yeah. in what you wanted to do. Yeah, and it had you had to be very specific too, because wow. Wait, so did would... the Commodore sixty four come with a keyboard? It yeah. was, Commodore sixty four was, the, was keyboard. the keyboard. Okay. It it that was it was it was about this big. It also played Tooth Invaders. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I've actually ever seen one. I'll of those. show you a picture later. Well, on. except when you guys went to the Classic Gaming Expo. Yeah, yeah. I had one, but uh, but yeah, that was that was. Really, for me, one of the I guess landmarks in my and it's really in landmark. my my early yeah. geekdom as far as even you know games in general because I mean you could see you know there were books later on of Zork that yeah. I I would buy from the uh, Scholastic ah, I bought those too yeah. wow so I yeah. buy those and and I remember at some point there was like a Zork Choose Your Own Adventure book yes that, there were three that, of them if I remember right yeah. <laughs> and. Uh, so yeah, it 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 still hold. You know, I I don't think it would hold up well today, obviously. No, but, uh, it still holds a place in my heart. Really well, yeah, do that. there's no graphics. <laughs> yeah, of course, it's not. It's it's gonna be something that uh, kids today are like. I don't even want to touch this. This is I, I stupid. I think it's it's a combination of lack of graphics and lack of a large dictionary parser yeah. would would do it. Oh yeah, yeah. Very very limited. Yeah, children today will never know the joy of having to sit there in front of the Commodore 64 and type in line by line yeah. long pages and pages of code to play a video game. Yeah, because <laughs> they used to have a... K-Power oh, Magazine. Yeah, man. there was another one. It was like 10, video... 20, 30 pages just to play a Why? simple game. That was how they distributed, games, they distributed games in some ways. They, they so would you literally, programmed it yourself, yeah, kind of. They would have yeah. magazines. Hey, wow. a bouncing ball game. Yeah. Enjoy. Wow. Yeah. I would sit yeah. there... <laughs> And that was that was what some programmers would do. They would literally submit their code. You will never know that joy. And you would go <laughs> no, through the magazine no. and say, "Oh, this sounds cool." So you looked at the page and you literally typed in line by line the code. Thirty pages. And of then code. when you were done, Major, you could play the game. There that was even, one way. Of there are even novels out there for young adults that would be some, like a microcomputer novel where you'd read and then all of a sudden you would have a clue, but that clue was in computer code that you had to type in your computer yeah. to get the clue to continue the story. Mm-hmm. So you had to stop the novel, type in code, get that information. <laughs> Then wow, that's like so. Yeah, yeah, that's so involved. I next actual step below the whole cassette tape uh, download. You know, as as a quick side note, uh, just as because this just occurred to me, speaking to an insurance agent at Allstate about the car insurance, and he was talking about how their database had gotten wiped out and they had to restore it. And I was like, "What happened?" He's like, "Well." When the DMV is upgrading their database, finally, because you see, up until a few months ago, when they needed us to update their database on who has insurance and doesn't, they would send us a cassette tape. Are you serious? Whoa! (laughs) I'm sitting there, you got to be kidding me. And he's like, nope. After 15 years, the DMV caught up to the rest of the world. They used to update the database on cassette tape just a few months ago. And then they'd send it back to the DMV to actually... (laughs) pre-floppy disks. I was like, not even floppies? And he's like, yeah, nope. I only remember floppies. (laughs) I had a tape drive on my C64. I could never get that damn thing to work right. That's what killed it with me with my 64. That thing annoyed me so much, I hardly ever played with it. Load, blah, blah, blah. Comma 8, comma comma 1. No, this was like, uh, this was like comma, like comma 9, comma 1. You could change it. Because I think 9 was the cassette. Nine was the cassette. You could change it. And then you'd hit enter and then say, press play on tape. I'm like, okay. So you press play on tape. 
nothing happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was my experience with the tape drive. Screw that. Every, right. From then on, it was carts and, and floppies. I want to go on to Deb. Yes. Go on. All right. Well, my first, my first exposure to games, period, because my family is not super religious, but when we were growing up, we had to go to church every Sunday. We were always in Sunday school and always doing these things. So we were monitored pretty heavily with the things we were allowed to do with our free time. Okay. Like Simpsons was not even allowed in our house. It wow, was, really? Yeah, we never watched the Simpsons. They got the Jesus. Yeah, so anyway, <laughs> we had a ColecoVision. Oh, because I, I have an older sister. And um, we didn't have that many games, but I remember my two favorites were Qbert and the Smurfs. Because we love my sister, I have a twin sister. My sister and I loved the Smurfs. We watched I that all the, the time. Shit out of some Smurfs. <laughs> well, I was so pissed because I remember by the time Jessica and I, because my older sister is six years older, so by the time hmm. Jessica and I got to play, it was you know always constantly breaking and constantly taking a Q-tip with rubbing alcohol and trying to clean the discs <laughs> and you're blowing in the in the system and you're blowing in the discs and you're putting it back in. And when you put it in, you get all these T's and all these things on the and you know in the graphics because it's totally busted. And every time on the Smurfs, it would get to like the cavern with Gargamel, and it would just it would oh. die oh. every time. I was so pissed. That's not but, nearly as bad as the old Magnavox one. You remember that? We had to put the little things up on the screen. Never had oh, the Odyssey. Had the little yeah, the, the original little plugs. Odyssey, wow. Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah. But yeah, so after after that, my first thing that really turned me into to geek was Star Trek The Next Gen when that aired on TV and I was like 8 years old I think when that started okay oh um, god yeah and then when I got to high school uh, Warcraft the original Warcraft aha uh-huh. came out okay and yeah <laughs> <laughs> and that's I think that was the game that really turned me into full-blown nerd i was constantly playing with friends from high school and back in the day when you had to dial up everybody dialed a phone number and you can only have four people on Uh, as you all played yep the bbs system days and you would all play against each other two on each team and yeah i think that was really what put me over the line because before that you know i was saying before we weren't even allowed to look at D &D novels because it was viewed as evil and right so i didn't even play D D until i was out of high school i was 18 well, this just goes to show you how quickly you can fall into nerddom. It's, it's, you can. It's, 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 it's something. A, it's a bit of a disease. Like really. a it's... fat cow from a helicopter. <laughs> just, bam! Right As God is my witness, I thought cows could fly. But yeah. It is shockingly fast. You mentioned, you mentioned the whole D&D. I remember, like I said, in Kuwait, I'm unaware of the whole mania sweeping the nation. And mm-hmm. a friend of mine driving me home from a weekend of playing D&D, where we played like 48 hours straight. That's how you got to do just, it, man. Just played it and kept running and playing. He's driving me home, and he's like, so, Carson, he's talking to me. And he actually is telling me, so I heard of a story about a guy whose paladin got killed, and he committed suicide. And there was this other guy who, like, killed his grandmother and said he was neutral alignment so he could do blah, blah. And, and it was really funny. I'd never heard these stories. I didn't know the craze, what was going on. So I finally was just like, you uh, you know, Mr. Pedersen, it really sounds to me like those people just had some problems. Yeah, you get those anytime. <laughs> and, and it was funny because that seemed to settle the issue for him, yeah. and that was it. And Dave was allowed to keep playing D&D, but it was really weird, just that whole phenomenon. Yeah. I, I, it totally like it. You can read the chick track about it. Oh, my yeah. Lord. Chick tracks. Yeah, they dropped those in the comic book store I worked at. In Chicago, you know, they just like casually drop them on the back issues, walking through. On the tables in restaurants. (laughs) Oh, I hate it when they always put it in the checkbook. Yeah, for your tip? Yeah, with your tip. (laughs) Here's a little brochure and here's a chick track. Yeah, here's here's a tip for you. Here's a dollar and a chick track. (laughs) Don't play D&D. Fuck you! (laughs) Wow. Wow. Oh, man, I want to run out after him sometimes. Hey, this is what I think of your chick track. <laughs> you know, all of those are available for view online from yeah. Jack Chick for yeah. free. You can oh, read every things. single one of them. So good, highly oh, entertaining. God Almighty! Oh my goodness! All right. So. Well, you know what? Let's let's continue this on, uh, but uh, but just for the sake of time, we'll probably have to strip it down as far as you know. Yeah. Deeper yeah. there. So so Barry, give me another one. Uh, 
Honestly, the thing um, that made me a huge geek, a bigger geek than I am now, which is hard to imagine, mm-hmm. um, I really, really got into uh, real-time strategy games, like a lot. Uh, I really got into StarCraft. I really got into Warcraft. Uh, but the thing that got me into those was a game on the uh, TurboGrafx-16. Oh, really? Which <laughs> Called Military Madness. Seriously? Do you remember this uh, game? I've never heard of this game. I, I vaguely remember the name. No one remembers this game. Um, I saved up money, allowance money, doing little odd jobs for my dad here and there. Um, and I bought a TurboGrafx-16 instead of buying a stereo. And I made a good choice, I thought. Uh, and I bought a game called Military Madness, and I bought a few other games. Okay, when was TurboGrafx-16? TurboGrafx-16 was... Late 80s? Late late 80s. So after Atari, but before... After Atari, after Nintendo, before Sega Genesis, before... So after original Nintendo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. after original Nintendo. You don't even get an original Nintendo. I think it was like 1994, you're, 1995. You're related to after Genesis. No. No? No. Um, anyway... It was a real. It was a. Very, it was a very simple game. It, it wasn't real time strategy. It, it was like turn based kinda. Uh, you were on the moon, and mm-hmm. you were one army versus another, and you produced units, and you had tanks and different kinds of tanks. So like the precursor to StarCraft. Soldier. Kinda, sorta. You can look and look it up. It, it, it was like how do I say. It almost sounds a lot like Command and Conquer. Kinda, kinda like yeah. that. It was, it was very simple, but it, it introduced me to a turn-based strategy. Okay, and I absolutely loved this game. And me and this kid Sam from across the street would play this game over and freaking over again, over and over and over and over and over. And I was like, "Well, this is awesome. What other games are like this?" Uh oh. And then no one else is going. <laughs> sure as shit, they started putting out more games like this. As soon as Warcraft happened, boom! Then Civilization happened. Civilization happened, and then Civilization was the first game I ever bought for the PC. In fact, I bought this before I bought a PC. I said, (laughs) you know what? I bought Civilization. Hey, Ma, I need to buy a PC now that I got this game. Oops. (laughs) Oops. Then I bought a PC. And then, of course, I played Civilization until my eyes fell out, and I discovered the term one more turnitis. <laughs> yep. Which which we all know what one more turnitis is. Mm. That oh, it's one more turn. Oh, it's two in the morning. Oh, one more turn. Oh, Russians are invading. Oh, it's four in the morning. Oh, I'm not going to school tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there goes math. All right, Chris, give me another. Um, you know, it, it's funny. The first time I had access uh, full time to a computer was in the year 2000. That's actually when uh, when I uh, had moved in with my folks. Uh, that was back when I needed to be with them rather than they needed me there. Um, so I really don't have computer game, you know. I had a Commodore 64, but being terribly lazy, I never, I never fussed with it. So I'm Whoop, not, join the club. You know, yeah, I, ne- I, nev- I never really uh, experienced the developmental computer craze. So all, a lot of my game experience really goes back to pen and paper and just the social uh, tabletop gaming. Okay. So the other game I would I would pull up would be uh, Gamma World. Wow. Um, Gamma World was uh, I just loved the weird Gonzo nature of uh, the the various editions of that game, where a post-apocalyptic future, which I liked. I read uh, plenty of uh, science fiction author Andre Norton, and she actually kind of uh, uh, pioneered the uh, post-apocalyptic nuclear fantasy story. And um, so this really grabbed me, and I was really interested in that. And I remember the maps from it and of the decimated United States and the various mutant powers that you end up randomly rolling up and stuff like that. Hmm. And it was really funny because in Gamma World, I remember reading that and being really into it. And then on my one of my summers returning to the States, I discover... Thundar the Barbarian oh, no. TV show, which <laughs> just was like, wow, this is, and it was, it was sort of the post-apocalyptic fantasy seemed to be sweeping the country. It really wasn't, but 
I liked Gamma World a lot, a lot in all of its iterations. So it, um, and in terms of uh, forming me, I would say that uh, I kind of like. It's weird because I like the idea of anthropomorphic uh, animal mm -hmm. species, but I have no inclination whatever towards furrydom. And it's really funny. It's a shame. It's a shame. It's really <laughs> funny shame, because because of the knee jerk. I think I speak for all of us here. We're, we're yeah, all we would like to see that. Actually. The, the, the knee jerk reaction to any kind of anth you know, as soon as you get a, a bipedal with a little bit of fur and fang, I was like, oh furries, that's awful, and people fly into a rage on the net. It's amazing, and it's like, well, no, that's not really where you know. No. That's where I'm not where I'm coming from. But I I. I, I got into that whole, I mean, for me, anthropomorphic animal type thing. I think of, actually, uh, Walt Disney's Robin Hood, okay. which uh, yeah. Robin Hood was one of my favorite movies growing up as a kid, and Walt Disney's Robin Hood was equally exciting that for me as a kid. That was one of my favorites kid. as well. I just loved it, and so that kind of thing appealed to me. As to Gamma World working now, we'll actually find out, because they're, they're doing a Gamma World 4th edition. It, um, well, actually, it's a later edition, but it's the 4th edition Dungeons and Dragons rules. Okay. So they're actually putting that out. Uh, I think in October, actually. So Ooh. random mutation right cards on. and stuff like that. Do you so, want to run one? Uh, Mayhap. <laughs> I'll definitely be picking it up. So, but that that would be another influence. Nice. Well, this one's a, a bit of a okay. Everybody here, possibly some of you out there, uh, I've talked at Finitum about how I enjoy Elder Scrolls Oblivion. Yes. All right, and and still play it. It, now that it's even been out, what, three years now? Yeah. All right, and I still still love and enjoy it. However, what kind of led to that for me is an earlier iteration. Uh, Elder Scrolls Dra uh, Daggerfall. Did anybody play this? I played Daggerfall. Daggerfall mm -hmm. makes uh, Oblivion look like... Uh, just just an island, really, when it comes down to it. Well, which one? Is it Morrowind? Or is it... uh, Morrowind was the one before it, before uh, Oblivion. Okay. Before Morrowind, there was Daggerfall. Okay, okay. Daggerfall is the second of all of the Elder Scrolls games. What really blew this open and showed me what... Now, a lot of these games came at a time, you know, it was post-college, not a lot of money, so I had to get bang for my buck. This game did it for me. Oh, yeah. If you're unfamiliar, this game had 15,000 towns, villages, cities, and dungeons in it. 15,000? Let me put it in perspective. Uh, the landmass of, Jag of uh, Oblivion is 41.4 square kilometers. You know, that if you're walking through the whole game, that's how far you will walk. That's a big game. The full landmass of Daggerfall was 487,000 square kilometers. <laughs> what? <laughs> Morrowind was 0.01% of the size of how Daggerfall. How did that not even, how did it not crash the system? It, a lot of it is because some of it was done with random generators. And when it comes down to it, but it had this full thing with guilds and warring factions and religions and politics, and the game just didn't end. There was always something to do in this game. When you bought this game, you didn't need a game for a long time, and that is still where I find my love for these particular role-playing games. I mean, that's fine for you know the JRPGs that last you forty hours. That's great, but when you show me something like Oblivion. Or the upcoming uh, Two Worlds 2, and the game can last upward 100 plus hours before they add expansions, I'm still deep into wanting to play that fully monstrous world. And you could go anywhere and do whatever you wanted. Before the open world sandbox game, this was the open world sandbox RPG. What do you do with all that space? Uh, uh, not, you, you couldn't do it all. You couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't walk the damn thing. You could... You could try. You could just put. I'm sure there are people that put weights on a keyboard and let them walk. But you're gonna run into something horrible. <laughs> and might kill you. Yeah, or or a lake, and that's will kill you too eventually. But uh, but yeah, the Daggerfall was such a, a a love and inspiration for what a grandiose game could be. What about you, sir? Um, probably I would say a key developmental as far as video games go, would be pro probably my introduction to PC gaming. Um, my, uh, my parents bought us a... Uh, we had a, a 286 when everybody else still had an 8088 PC. Wow. 
and it was one that my dad bought as a kit. Okay. So um, that was it was a hobby thing because he had just finally gotten a job that was starting to make a little bit of money. We we started to have a little bit extra. We weren't dirt poor anymore. We had a little bit, and he foresaw the need to have a computer in the house because I was starting junior high. Uh, my sister was three years behind me, so he said, this is something that we're going to need. Well, Get with the times. Yeah. yeah, get with the times. So he actually went a step above where everybody else went because he got a good deal on the system. And uh, my introduction to PC gaming was the Sierra Online series. Um, I'm talking your Police Quest, Space Quest, yeah. um, Heroes Quest, King's Quest, those, point those games. Point and click adventures. Yeah, I, I loved those games. Uh, just, you know, there were, there were hours of gameplay. And I mean, yeah. and then the worst part was trying to figure out where to click, you know, wh- where to go. And, and, uh, Oh, and, and then, of course, I, I totally forgot Leisure Suit Larry, which I wasn't supposed to have. <laughs> I wasn't supposed, to, were supposed no, to have that. No, you were That was the game that was played still not when, supposed to have that. when nobody was home. When nobody was home, <laughs> Leisure Suit Larry. It's a which, guilty pleasure. It's a guilty pleasure. And, and every series of that game, you're like, am I finally going to see some nudity? No. Well. <laughs> Denied. <laughs> Or uh, the, the one that I remember the most was You're right, like, that did form your later experience. <laughs> <laughs> the, the one I remember the most was like, uh, he like unbuttons this girl's shirt and then a big, huge sensor bar Damn. pops out of her oh, shirt. Across, and it was like, ah. Uh. It was like, because the build-up to that was just like, am I, am I finally going to get this? Because you're choosing the right dialogue and everything. <laughs> but the uh, right dialogue. But yeah, because that... <laughs> Sounds like a geek date. It's, it was, um, yeah, you know, not only did you have to select the right route to pick, where, where, where to go, and, and, and then you had to find little items to use along your way, but when you interacted with characters, you had to choose the right dialogue, which is a big part of a lot of games now. So that was, uh, yeah, the, the, the Sierra games were, were a huge thing. I, I bought those things left and right. I, you know, I save up my allowance, and you know. And hey, if you want to try it out again, Gog has them now. Yeah, I, yeah Gog, Gog does it. So, uh, yeah, cool. that's a that was a huge formative thing for me. My introduction to PC gaming. Nice. Yeah, Deb. Well, <clears throat> I guess my childhood was a little bit different since I grew up with a computer in the house. As long as I can remember, there was a computer in the house. Mm-hmm. My uh-huh. dad still actually has that original computer, and he still uses it. It's oh, still wow. Holy <laughs> mackerel! I know. I mean, granted, now he has a newer computer, but he still keeps that computer keeps around. Keeps that TRS-80 or TRS-80 around. <laughs> the trash oh, my God. But, you know, so I grew up gaming in, like, elementary school with Oregon Trail and all those things. And oh, yeah. oh, At yeah. home, I remember we had this game called Gold Rush. I loved this hmm, game. Yeah. I played the crap out of this game. And you had to, you started in Boston, and you had to get to California, and there was different ways to go, and you could either cross by wagon or go across, you go around the, the um, South America in a boat, or you could go through the Panama Canal. And every time, every way, I mean, it was different. But I started playing those things, you know, in elementary school. So I really didn't get into the nerd stuff until I was a little bit older, and I could, like, really kind of, my mom wasn't hovering so much over what I was doing. (laughs) You know, and and I didn't have a job until I was 15, so I couldn't buy any of my own stuff. So I think really the first game that kind of got me into really playing game games was a game called Full Throttle. I don't know if any of you guys Tim Schafer's Full Throttle. Uh, That was a very cool game. game. I loved that game. The soundtrack on that game. I mean, just the the whole game. The sense of humor in that game. I know. (laughs) The bunnies. That's my favorite part. Oh, God. (laughs) Um, But I think that was the first game that really got me totally into computer gaming. And from, yeah. and then, I mean, and I got my dad addicted to computer gaming. I played, <laughs> Good job. oh yeah, Good I job. played Diablo and then Diablo That's 2 it. came out and I remember I bought it for my dad for Christmas. My mom oh. hated me. She hated me because months he would come home from work and he would just play Diablo 2. That is awesome. That is awesome. That's rare. Getting your parents addicted to video games. Oh yeah. That's good. Oh God. That's good. <laughs> Well, we're going to have to wind this down, but before we do, let's, let's do just kind of a quick round. If you have any more, uh, just say what the game is and maybe a sentence as to why it's for why it really grabbed you. Barry? 
uh, World of Warcraft grabbed me because all my friends were into it. <laughs> all right, Kristen? We're, uh, since we're talking games, I won't mention a game, but I will mention Neon Con, November 4th through 7th at the Tropicana. Um, go to neoncon.com uh, to check out the uh, uh, role-playing game gaming expo here in Vegas that is now yeah. raising its level to a, a celebration of geekery. Nice. So neoncon.com. Are we going to be able to get figures? Because I need a figure. I'll bet if you want figures, that's the play. Oh, yeah. Well, cool. the, the, when I went last year, their retail section, their, their vendors was not huge. So, but there there was vending going on. So, depending on how the game has grown, because it used to be at the plaza, now it's uh, at the trop. So they're actually slowly making their way up the the hotel scale. Right. Well, mine a uh, heretic from Raven Software. That was the fantasy version of Doom. But boy, that was so foreign to me because that was the first LAN game we did in college, where we just hooked up an entire lab of computers and beat the shit out of each other. That was formative. <laughs> Um, I would have to say either Wolfenstein 3D or Doom because that was kind of the the intro to me of 3D gaming. It's like, whoa, you can actually walk through this maze and punch and shoot stuff? This is freaking awesome. And, of course, now I play a ton of those games on consoles these days. But back then, that was that was unheard of. And then, of course, we got sound cards right after that. So That triggers for me. I'll say uh, I'll second Wolfenstein 3D. Big, yeah. big influence. I think for me, right after my senior year of high school, I dated this guy who his best friend's parents own a comic book store. Nice. And that Gold opened mine. my eyes because they also Why had... Why with this fool? Freaking web design loser I am. They bought the, built, they bought the, um, the room next door and then they built a huge land gaming area. Oh, oh wow. Awesome. And then, the, then they, they ended up buying the one next door to that and they did um, Warhammer and they did D. Oh my god, this place was, it like wow. opened my eyes to everything nerd. It was awesome. Oh, it was so awesome. Bless awkward. them in the face. Wow. If I could oh, find yeah. a girl that had a family like that, I'd be sugar daddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fine. It's fine. Let's go. And that's it for our special edition Geek Shock on games in our formative years. So until next time, I am Master Torgo. Dr. Vlarg. 80s Jeff. Commander K. And Dub. And next week, let's do it again. <laughs> Dick-ass fart, Paul. <laughs> <laughs>